You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, I wonder if you've ever, and maybe you don't even have a garden or or any pot plants on your balcony or anything like that, but I wonder if you've ever had any plant in your vicinity that's been eaten by something. And you watch it decay and all the leaves disappear and your basil's vanishing and you can't use it in your cooking anymore. And you don't know what in the world is eating it. Well, recently our basil has been totally attacked and something was eating it and we thought it was slugs and then we thought it was opossums. And then lo and behold, we discover these little caterpillars crawling all over it and munching it all. But in this instance, these frustrating little caterpillars don't actually stay caterpillars forever. I think we know what happens to a caterpillar that if it turns into a butterfly, but it doesn't happen instantly, right? Apparently, it can take anywhere from a month to a year for a butterfly to fully form, from an egg right through to a caterpillar, to the cocoon, to the, to the butterfly. And The structural change that happens from a caterpillar to a butterfly, well, it's in a cocoon, its organs totally change, everything about it totally transforms into something completely different. And there's something pretty impressive when an object transforms from one thing into something completely different, right? We see that around us, but transformation isn't always one significant shift. I think we can think of it as those moments, but Transformation is often the result of a lot of tiny little, little, little shifts over time that lead to a more significant moment um, of change. And God is in the business of transforming the world around us. He's in the business of transforming our lives and the business of transforming those around us as he uses us to do that. And to paint a bit of the picture of where we're going tonight, we're looking at transformation God's way. Transformation in Madagascar and transformation in our own lives or in us. But before we dig into all of that, I want to turn to John chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me. (laughs) Well, it's up on the screen. Verses 1 to 8 says here, I'm the vine, the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, it might seem a little bit strange that in this season of church, as we've been talking about vision and where God might be leading us, that we suddenly turn to Madagascar and have an update on what what we did this year. But I actually think it's God's humor or maybe divine purpose that we're actually talking about it today. 
because I see what we're going to share and the journey that we've been on in Madagascar almost as a bit of a case study of the potential for God to use us as a church, to be a church of influence across the world and across our city and across our nation. So I want us to view it through that lens tonight. We're going to share a lot of different stories, but I believe there's something greater that God's got for us to get in all of this. So for transformation God's way, how does transformation occur? As I've mentioned, many small things build up over time to lead to a more significant change. But of course, we don't discount the fact that God is a God of miracles, right? And he can literally make that change happen overnight if he wants to. And when it comes to connectivity, as we've just read in that passage of the vine and the branches, that connectedness is vital in terms of God's transformation. He says about six times in that passage to remain in me. And there's a clear message that comes through. And there's, there's a power source that enables that transformation. And that's the Holy Spirit and God at work in us. If we look to the, through the Bible, there's many, many, many mentions of our heart and how important that is and what God's up to in our lives and what he's doing. And in Proverbs 4 verse 23, it says, the heart is the wellspring of life. In Matthew 12, 34, it says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And as we've just sung tonight, transformation isn't from the outside in, it's from the inside out. As God transforms us from the inside, um, the result is an overflow of transformation. And I'm sure there are endless examples of our own lives that we can think of, of things that have brought about transformation, whether it's large or small or seen or unseen. And in this case, the trips we take to Madagascar are a context in which God transforms us. There are contexts for us to grow and us to understand more of him. So we're going to share a number of stories tonight. We're going to see a clip of a, a bit of an insight of what our trip was. But I do want us to listen out for that bigger message of transformation that God has for us to hear. He's woven it through us. And we heard just a few weeks back from Sam of how God wants us to prosper this city and I believe he wants to prosper this nation and this world as we become a church of influence that um, listens to what God is up to and is inspired by these stories that we share tonight. And we can take that back into our week. This isn't just a, a Madagascar thing. This is something that God's got for all of us to grasp. But why don't you take a look at the clip, um, a bit of a snapshot of our trip. Well, Love someone until the day you come. 
So many memories. Well, why don't you join me in giving it up for the Madagascar team or part of them that are going to come and share with us this evening. Because we're a large team this year, we had half of them share this morning and half of them share tonight. So if you haven't yet met these guys, we've got Brendan Peterson here on the left, on your left, yes, (laughs) Sandy Rogers, Shannon Armstrong and Sean Royston Chia. And they were um, half of our team. Some of the other um, members of the team are here tonight as well, and I'm sure they'd love, love you to talk with them afterwards with any questions you might have. Doesn't that bring back memories, seeing all those funny little stories and the people and the faces, and hope you got to see <laughs> some of the joy that we experienced in Madagascar this year. It was truly a wonderful time. Well, what in the world does transformation look like in Madagascar? And before we jump into sharing stories, I just want to take a few steps back and remind ourselves of um, the situation in Madagascar. So it's the fourth largest island in the world, which is the size of France and the size of Texas. So it's a pretty decent um, sized country. Um, 90% of the population live on less than $2 per day and less, uh, 80% live on less than one. So that is um, contributing to the fact that it is among the top 10 poorest countries in the world. 50% of children under the age of five die from diarrhea. And that was a pretty f- confronting statistics when, when we found that out the first time. But 2 million children under the age of five, 15 aren't working. So they're, sorry, are working. So they're not actually in school um, setting them up for the opportunities that they could be having in life. And that's about 10% of the population. 
So transformation, as I said, doesn't happen overnight. And that's why I love the fact that we are consistently going back to the same place. Because it's so important for us to see the bigger picture of what God is doing here. And we wouldn't have that privilege and we would totally miss the developments of what God has been doing over the last few years if we weren't going back. And it's not, I guess, to be proud of what we've done and beat up our chests or pat ourselves on the back and feel good about ourselves because we see all that we've contributed to. But more than anything, it's actually just to stop and look at what we've been faithful with and how we've been obedient to what God has called us to do. And to see how God has used that and the power of what he has done through us. And that is inspiring. I find it inspiring. So I hope you catch a glimpse of, a glimpse of that tonight. But time for a few stories. And Brendan, why don't you start off with Tuki and um, share a bit about his story. Yeah, so Tuki, as you can see on the screen, was one of the children who lives in the, uh, the children's home that Northside has helped sponsor. And uh, Shannon and I actually have the pleasure of sponsoring him to school, uh, which was, which we didn't realize we were going to meet him, but it was sort of an amazing turn of events that we got to meet him in the end. But um, also an incredible part of his story and his journey is that um, not long ago they picked up that he has hearing impairment. And so the Northside kids have actually been able to sponsor and raise enough money to give him this hearing aid. And on the day that we left, uh, we got to meet him with his new hearing aid. And it was just incredible to see the transformation in his life, I mean, the, the joy he brings to everyone he sees without this hearing aid was, was incredible. But just to say that the transformation, just the way that God has given him a hope and a future and just empowered him so wonderfully in just, in just a real and practical way, it was incredible. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And Brendan was telling me how he'd go and say goodnight to Tookie and turn out his light. And he'd be sitting there reading his Bible and praying out loud. He's such a kid who loves God. And at his young age, is already so um, connected with God and passionate about following him. So it really is cool to see him um, nurtured in, in that environment. And Sandy, we met um, a brother and a sister at the children's home, Patricia and Kenya. Why don't you tell us a bit about them? Yeah, so I guess when I first met Patricia, I didn't even really click her background. So um, she just really took a liking to Karen, who was my prayer partner. And Karen was like her mum, and it was just so cute. Um, and they followed each other around. Um, and it wasn't until, I think, actually right at the end when Karen actually told me that she had been used, I guess, for sex by some of the men in the village. Um, and she was only eight or nine. Um, and just hearing that was like, that? like, that doesn't compute for me. Like, how can that even be true? Like, yeah, doesn't work in my head. Um, but I think just after that, like, it just watching um, how joyful she was over just such little things. Um, so someone in the church um, provided some clothing. Lots of people did. But one of the things was this little cape that she's wearing in the photo. Um, and we gave her the cape and, like, it didn't come off um, after that. So <laughs> it was everywhere. So um, that was only a day or so before we left. But, yeah, just seeing the joy in her face at that cape and then also just um, – getting cuddles from Karen, like you could just see the joy in her face. So it was just the little things and just how far she'd come and the difference of just having her um, there um, compared to where she'd been a year or so ago made yeah. all the difference. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. Her and her brother were living in a rubbish dump in the nearby village and it's just heartbreaking to hear that story and as you said, Sandy, what she's been through. But to know that she's now in a safe home um, in a family context where she's got other brothers and sisters that are loved and that she can and she turn, she's turning out to be a real leader in that little area isn't she it's really awesome to see 
the, the transformation that has happened in her life. And Shannon Odilon was another guy that we met. Um, do you want to fill us in? <laughs> His yeah, so photo on the left. Yeah. <laughs> Odilon, he's just recently turned 17 and he's one of the sons of one of the women who works for CSM and CSM has been involved with their family for a long time. And um, I heard of Odilon last year when we were in Madagascar, but he was sort of the lost son at that stage. He'd been working for CSM, but had run away, gone back to join his alcoholic and abusive father in a village and um, had sort of rejected the help CSM had offered. But in the year since we've been, he had come back and he had just a complete change in his attitude and change in his heart and we got to meet him and now he's one of the main leaders in Suave for CSM and he's just he's been empowered with so much he takes so much responsibility and most of all his heart for God and his willingness to do whatever it takes um, is amazing he he stepped out so many times he translated for us he would be on the construction site he ended up taking a kid to hospital when he needed to go and he was willing to do whatever it took to um, live out sort of what God is doing through CSM and it was amazing to see yeah it was quite remarkable someone who's 16 years of old um, age um, being such a key leader and really rising to that challenge and I couldn't believe how much English he knew <laughs> in such a short amount of time it was awesome <laughs> but so inspiring to see what God is doing in his life and Sean, we had a pretty heart-wrenching moment amongst it all, probably about the middle of our trip when um, one of the kids we, well, he wasn't a kid, he was a, a bit older than that, but um, a kid we encountered um, came to our medical clinic. Why don't you um, fill us in on that story? So he, well, Sandy and Shannon and Brendan were treating him and they realized that he needed more medical attention and we couldn't provide that. And there was this moment of, do we or do we not just send him to the hospital, um, the local clinic? And I just said, let's do it. Um, and so we loaded him on this van, which was pretty riggedy, um, and it could fall off any moment. And it was like a half an hour drive to the nearest city. And so we carried him there, and you could see that he was in tremendous amount of pain, like excruciating. So I think the biggest moment of it all was when we got to the clinic, it was like a local GP, they didn't want to treat him at all. Um, they just said, we can't treat him. And, and so I was there with Odalong, who's a translator, and I was trying to figure out what's going on. And there, all our phones were not working. There was no reception. And I tried borrowing a phone from some stranger. And it's like, I'll buy credit, and I'll call back. And so we did, and the credit lasts for 30 seconds because it's overseas call. That didn't help. <laughs> so I said to Odalong, can we just leave him, leave him here and go back and get instructions and try and figure out what to do next. Um, the hardest part of it all was just leaving him there and said, look, we need to figure this out. And so when we got back, and it wasn't an issue of throwing money at the situation because in a country like that, money is not the issue. It, it is, but it's not. It's not in a way that there are bigger things to consider. You, you save one, you've got to save a million more because everybody would come knocking on your doors. Um, and that situation alone caught me and, and, and broke me down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all had a moment over lunch of what what do we do? Because in our minds it's simple, but it actually is quite complex. Like he was really sick and he could have lost his leg. And what does that mean for someone in that environment without a leg? Or, you know, there's any number of different things that you think of that are actually connected to that issue. And it was a real crunch point of what do we do? But I remember um, Rachel and I were talking to Luva and Luva's one of the CSM guys, one of the key leaders. And he just said, no, this is what we are here for. We are here to help these people. 
And then the, the later he said, no, I believe God brought you here for this child, for this um, kid. And we were just a bit blown away by that perspective, um, but encouraged that God had brought us there for that for that moment and we we sent him off to hospital and he um has been in hospital and from all reports he's doing well he's healthy and he's recovering and he's on a good path to recovery so what an encouraging opportunity that was for us to be a part of of that moment and the next question i want to throw out there is um i guess in light of the the transformation piece that we're over there for a period of time we're doing a bunch of different things how do we see God work in the transformation through what we're doing? Like, um, we might be a part of a little moment, or maybe there was a time over in Madagascar when you were serving the people, um, when you realized that what you were sharing with them was perhaps either, it could have even been a little transformational moment of wow for them, or it could have been a moment where you just got an insight that what you were teaching them and what you were passing on was a part of something greater to come. And I wonder if there were any of those moments, perhaps for you, Brendan, with all the medical um, bits and pieces. Um, yeah, so in addition to the medical clinics, uh, Shan, Rach and myself actually got to run some health classes. Um, and they were an incredible, we had an incredible class and they were some they were really attentive students. They were some of the better educated um, people of all ages from the village, high school students up to people probably in their 60s or 70s, um, basically coming along desperate to just learn and get knowledge. Um, and at the, at the end of our last class, one of the most attentive students sort of stood up and gave an incredibly humble and grateful speech. And that was sort of when it really hit home to me just how grateful they were for this information. And we were sort of empowering them and sort of giving them this information, not really knowing the impact of it, hoping it would make a difference, um, but just seeing how, how much it meant to them um, and how much responsibility they felt they had with it now, um, that they now this information that this health they they could try and improve the health in their in their local village um and they felt so responsible and it was just yeah an amazing sense of that just the work that we were doing and and how how much it meant to them yeah setting them up with some skills for the future and i think um the other part of that was that um almost an insight as to what the youth centre will be used for because we raised a whole lot of um, funds for that last year and that's on the way to being completed. But that was a, an example of what they're going to be doing through the youth centre. And to think that they're going to have a whole massive facility where they can be training up the, the locals and giving them skills and setting them up for the future, that's really exciting to see the potential of that of that area too. What about you, for you, Sean? Was there something that you were doing that you sort of sensed was part of something bigger or a transformation over there? I thought I taught them Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> no, seriously. So they they this 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 is funny, but all of us take this for granted. Everybody uses Excel spreadsheet takes this drag and drop summation. You know what I mean, right? Put one and two, and they three, four, five. You just drag. These people don't know that, and these people do it manually, line by line, with no formulas, nothing. So I look at Excel most of the day, most of the week. In fact, it's almost my life, and. <laughs> I went there and I said, Luva, this is what you can, he, so I said, show me what you do. And he shows, and I was like, why are you doing this blind by line? And he's like, oh, this is how we know. I was like, okay, Luva, check this out, right? So I said, check this out, check this out, follow me. So I, I did like, you know, I equals, plus it, and type enter. He's like, whoa, how did you do that? And I said, this is how you do it. And so they, so the context is this, every day they have to enter journal entries for what they spent. Um, and they have to, put in different numbers, and it's basically a formula. 
So they spent two hours, no kidding, two hours every day. And I said, Luva, I promise you 20 minutes. That's all you need. So I did that, and I dragged, and I dropped the whole form of the spreadsheet and dumped it there, and he just went, huh? <laughs> and he's like, wow, how did you do that? I was like, Microsoft. <laughs> um, so that, that was where you, because they're the point of, becoming a big organization where most of the time needs to be spent on being productive and doing frontline work rather than administrative end. Um, and there's not many staff there. So things like that, it brings a whole new dimension of helping them do things not harder but smarter. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, when his face lit up, I was like, man, I'm trying to teach my assistant and they tell me to, you know. <laughs> and no, never mind, <laughs> but you appreciate this. <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> Such a great example of something so simple that we take for granted in our own world, but what a big deal that was to the people over in Madagascar. It's incredible. But all these stories, and when you think about the transformation piece, there's always a before and an after. And before is kind of where they've been and after could be now. But before can also be where they're at right now. And after is the potential. And there is so much potential. But when Northside's been a part of this, we've been a key part of that before and after. And we've got a couple of pictures here that I want you to look at. And this is Suave before Northside came along. So the children's home is just slowly starting along. And then on the right here is Suave today. And you can see in the back corner of that photo, the youth centers being constructed. And if you saw in the video, there was a bit of video footage that kind of sp um, spanned around the whole area. But this area is totally transformed. And again, this is not just to go, woohoo, we did awesome things. <laughs> but to actually be reminded, and this is, this is buildings, but there are lives that we've just been speaking about too. And there is just so much transformation that Northside has been privileged to be a part of and how we've been faithful in that. And just to see what God is doing is so exciting. And um, this year we raised a grand total of $33,661.65. How cool is that? <laughs> Quite remarkable. And we thank you for your part in that because I know so many of you have been a vital part in praying and in giving and contributing to that. And that's why we share today because these stories aren't our stories. These stories are our church's stories and you're as much a part of that as we were. <laughs> and so that's why it's such a privilege to share. But you can see up here the 15000 and where that was all allocated. We spelled that out when we were fundraising. And all of that, the 15000 has been transferred to CSM. It's in their hands. It's already underway in, those, in a number of different projects. But you might be wondering where all the rest of the money went. We didn't have um, a week-long holiday in Mauritius afterwards. <laughs> <That's tempting>. <laughs> but... <laughs> As Sean mentioned before, CSM's really moving from a smaller organization to something a lot larger. And they're at a bit of a turning point, and we sat down with Brendan, and he could have written down a list right then and there of any number of different things that we could have purchased um, and helped them out. But he actually said to us, I want to wait. I want to wait until we've got a business plan in place, and so I can direct those funds to our priorities for the next season. Very, very wise. <laughs> but funnily enough... Um, 
we were in Madagascar listening to Sam's podcasts of the sermons and he's there preaching about wisdom and about not rushing ahead of God's plan and his agenda, but waiting on God and seeking his wisdom and guidance. So it was a bit of a timely thing for us. It was a bit of a struggle. It's like, oh, we want to come back and tell you all these great things we spent the money on, but it's not the case. <laughs> but Brendan's being very wise in that and going on that journey of piecing together what the next season looks like for them. It's a very exciting time for them as an organization. So we'll keep you posted as soon as we know what that is and where the extra funds are allocated to. But we did choose to purchase um, a concrete mixer for them, which was $2,000, because um, the, the youth sense is well underway, but there's still a bit to go, and that's going to make their world so much easier. As we've just said, it's working smarter, not harder. So we want to um, help them out with that a little bit and increase that, that journey. So that's the update on the finances, and we'll keep you posted with more on that. But the incredible thing about these missional experiences is not only does God use us to transform the world around us and use us as part of that process, but he transforms us. He truly does. And perhaps one of the greatest paradoxes exists in service that when we step out to serve others, to help them out and to put them first, God does so much in us and we leave so much richer as a result. And God is always at work in us, whether we see it or whether we don't even realize it. He's working in in our hearts and in our minds in those small little ways. He might be preparing our attitudes for something that's about to happen or setting our mind up for something to come. But all those shifts over time in our own lives build up to the greater aha moments, to the moments of recognizing what we're here for or what our purpose is, what our calling is, the passions that God has placed inside us. So we can never underestimate the significance of those smaller moments too. And so I want to throw it back to you guys and what, um, some of the, what are some of the things that God taught you about himself during our time in Madagascar? Perhaps to you, Brendan. Um, yeah, I think it was two main things that God really taught me about him. Um, the first one, I guess, as a doctor, was an interesting lesson to learn, was about his healing power uh, and just that has, he has all authority in that area. And it's sort of one area of my life where I've sort of struggled to have faith in, but just seeing his, his healing hand at work in so many different ways in Madagascar and being there in the clinic and just, yeah, seeing how he cares for and loves every single individual um, and, and how he is working in their lives to heal in all kinds of areas, not only physically but emotionally and spiritually. Um, I think the second big area was sort of growing on from that, learning just how God cares for every individual uh, and how he sees every single individual. And in a community where we have sort of 10, 20, 30, 40 people turn up to the clinic every day, God knows their stories. He knows where they're hurting. He cares for them. He loves them intimately. Um, And I think I saw that really, really clearly for the first time. And it was, yeah, an amazing insight into just his heart and who he is. Mm, That's incredible. Yeah. What about you, Shannon? I think um, the main thing, uh, there were lots of learning points, but one thing I think that was very real for Brendan, Rach and I every day was God's sovereignty. Um, We knew we would be doing medical things before we left and we sort of got together, prepared, made some plans, got some resources, but as our first clinic sort of loomed over us, we were like, we're completely out of our depth. Like, we have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea what we'll see. Like, Brendan and I have been graduated for less than a year. Rachel <laughs> hasn't worked clinically for five years. And it was like, this is really serious. So I think, and, and we really, so, but it was great. And I think God provided in all different ways, every single 
day and we saw, I think Brendan undersold how many people came to clinic. We saw hundreds of people. And um, <laughs> it was like we got blessed with this box of random medications that people had left behind and just crazy things. But I think we were so under-resourced. That's just the reality. And often we didn't even know what was going on with people. We'd never see them again. And I think the one story that was so encapsulated that for us was on our first clinic in Suave we saw this uh, family it was single mum and two young girls and the girls were sick um, sick sick and one of them had this like pus pouring out of her ear it was the worst ear infection I've seen another one had just this, this infected skin everywhere all over her body and this bad tooth infection and she couldn't swallow tablets we didn't have the medication she needed or we had no idea what to do with them but we did what we could we gave her something in faith and we got them to come back we prayed for them while they were gone and um they came back and just miraculously had improved. I don't even know how, I don't know what happened, but I remember talking to the mum afterwards and she was like, we just have been praying that someone will come to help us. And I think we we did little. In, in reality and practically we did little, but I think seeing that God had that situation under control, all we had was our obedience to go and to give what little we had. And I, I would like to think that for the many others that we saw and we gave what we had, we provided what we could give that God sort of filled the gap and in his sovereignty he was able to use our little to do big things in their lives. That's amazing. Isn't that such a cool example of just doing our little bit and being faithful and obedient with that and what God can do and amongst all of that. That's so cool. And what about when it comes to what God taught you about yourself, whether that's something in regards to your calling or your character or something that God revealed on the trip. Sandy, you had a cool um, revelation about what God's brought you to here in Sydney. What did that look like and how did the Madagascar trip unfold that? Yeah, thanks. Um, I probably got the opposite of what I'd expect. I thought I'd go and then just come back and quit my job and say, stuff you all. Sorry, but I'm out. <laughs> like, who wants to work in financial services? But um, I didn't. I still want it anyway. Um, but I went and I realised, like, I've always had this feeling of um, I'm meant to be in Sydney. I'm meant to be in the role I'm in. But I've also always had that, oh, my friends who are doctors in the office, they can go save the world and maybe I should be and I should be doing more of that kind of stuff than like being in my corporate office, looking over the water, living in my apartment, looking over the water with, <laughs> you know, nice whatever, life. Um, so I realised that actually God does want me here um, and that I've got this idea about how there's lots of zombies in Sydney and I should be here trying to help them um, rather than, you know, there's others to go look after other people. So I guess... It just hit home that I'm meant to be here. Um, I'm meant to be in the office helping people there. And in some ways, it's actually sadder here in Sydney because they just don't, people don't have any hope. Um, and over there, you give them a, your old can of Coke and they're stoked and like, woo, so happy. And here, you know, everyone's got everything and they're just not happy. Um, so it sort of hit home again last week because I had um, our PA at work lose her baby after like she was four months pregnant. And um, since I've been back, I've been pretty crabby, as my friends over here probably agree, um, just because of everything in life. But um, she actually sent me a text and actually said, like, last week, hey, Sam, I just want to let you know you don't realise, but you're the light at work and you've made all the difference. Oh. And I was like, what? This is not good. Like, So it's obviously God. Um, it's not me. But, yeah, if that can be a light in the mood I'm in it currently, um, then God's doing something good. <laughs> it was me. That is awesome. I love that because I think so many of you can relate to that too. That Sometimes I think we elevate this idea of, oh, I've got to go and go over to a third world country and that's the ultimate. 
But actually, it's just as important as being in your workplace or whatever context you're in and the opportunities that we have without even realizing to be the light to those around us. That's awesome. What about you, Sean? You had some insights about the things that God taught you about yourself. What, what did that look like? Um, for me, the trip was a powerful symbol, uh, part of my life. On an 18-month journey where it was a chapter ending, a new beginning. Um, for those who know, uh, who are close to me knows that, you know, I just come to church, sit there in the back and off I'm out, right? Um, and that 18-month journey is like slowly coming out of the wallpaper and everything. Um, <laughs> And so Madagascar was a symbol where God was trying to show me a lot of things. Um, I think one of it, one of the uh, big things was before I left for that, um, I just got promoted and the director sent out an email to, to all 50 people. Um, and she went, um, oh, well, congratulations, Sean, you know, to his new role. In the next three weeks, he's heading off to Madagascar to do mission, uh, mission work and, and um build school and everything. And this is coming back to our workplace being our mission view, because um, at work I'm pretty different. And, and so after that, everybody started, oh, you're going to Madagascar, what are you doing and who are you going with? Oh, I said, I'm going with my church. You go to church? <laughs> I was like, yes, and never mind. But <laughs> um, and so that, ever since then, the workplace has been a bit different where where Christians are coming to me and like, and you know when you're Christian because they ask you which church you go to. <laughs> um, and I go Northside and someone the other day is, oh, I go to Oxford C3 at Oxford Falls and all of a sudden we have this conversation. But it's a whole chain of process that God has done in me. Um, and it, it's no burning. Madagascar wasn't a burning bush moment. It was a, a symbol and it helped me reconcile a lot of things. Um, in saying that, I think I wrote something down in, <laughs> Come on, Sandy. So I wrote this down, like, middle of the night, no lights, candles, and, you know. Um, and this, is, this was what my revelation was when I went there. Uh, it goes like that. I came looking for God, but was already in His presence. I came looking for clarity, but found peace. I came looking to serve, but found what it was like to be served. I came with an open heart and found His work done through me. Um, and that was that was my journey. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. How good is it hearing from these guys, right? It's so cool just to hear the, the honesty and the journeys that they've been on and the things that they've discovered about God through all of that. And if that's a snapshot of the context of Madagascar and the way that God has used Northsiders to bring transformation to that people and nation, that's really cool. <laughs> really cool to see what we've been a part of. And I get so excited to hear the stories of Live Transformed. And whether that's um, someone in Madagascar who's amongst all the poverty, given a new opportunity and a job, whether it's a youth in Bathurst who becomes a Christian and wants to be baptized, or even the privilege for us as a church to put together Christmas goodies for our housing commission community and Glebe. It's awesome. It's such a privilege to hear those stories, but also to hear the stories of you and your workplaces and your neighbors and your schoolmates or the people that you are around and the people that you are just creating those small little moments and that lead to the bigger, more significant moments. There is so much going on and it's so exciting to hear um, how we are being a part of that. And I hope that these stories tonight have been a real encouragement to you. 
an encouragement that the relationships you are placed in, no matter where you are at, that God has put you in those places for a reason because he wants you to influence those around you. And there is so much to be brought to those people around us, whether it's just simply listening to them or getting to know them or caring for them. You know, all those little small moments, they count. And in ways that we don't even realize. You know, love over time brings an understanding of who God is. Words over time bring value, identity, and purpose. But time over time is not just history. It's a legacy. And how I wonder what God is wanting to do through you this week. Who is he sending you to? And what legacy does he want to leave through you to the people around you? And as for what God could do through Northside, the potential is endless. If this is what God has started on, this is only the tip of the iceberg. But there's a couple of quotes I want to share with you from a guy called David Bosch. And it just describes, um, I guess, the reality of what God has called the church to be missionally. It sums it up so well. The church is not the sender, but the one sent. Its mission, or its being sent, is not secondary to its being. The church exists in being sent and in building up itself for the sake of its mission. Missionary activity is not so much the work of the church, it's simply the church at work. I wonder what that looks like for us this week. With a church beyond, beyond just a Sunday, beyond to this moment, out in the week and out in our workplaces. And I hope in this season that you're starting to get an understanding of what God is calling us to in, this, in our lives and in, in this world. And there is so much potential for us to be a church of influence in this city, in this nation, and in this world. And I believe there is so much in store for us to be influential for his kingdom here in Sydney and beyond. And if this is a case study, this north side of Madagascar piece of what God has done through us, can you imagine what he can continue to do through us in 20, 50 years? Imagine what he has in store for us. And that's exciting. And I can't wait to hear the communities that he'll bring us to, the stories, the lives, and the people that are, we're going to encounter and that are going to be a part of, a part of um, bringing hope and love and light to the city around us. Exciting times, hey? Why don't you join me in thanking the team for their honesty and the stories they've shared. Thanks. Well, we're going to come to a time of communion in a moment, and it's, it's been awesome to hear of faith in action, but this faith in action is only a result of what God has done for us. That is the only thing that motivates us. It's because of Christ's love and the things that he has done for us that we then go out and, and love others and um, share with them in that journey. So as we do come to communion um, tonight, it's a perfect opportunity for us to remember that, to reflect on that. And if, if you're not a part of this church, you're more than welcome. If you're a follower and, and someone who's wanting to follow God, we would love you to, to join in with us in communion this evening. Um, but even as we do that, I'd challenge you to think about what this week looks like for you. What does it mean to live out God's love in this world? Who might God be putting on your heart? Who can you be praying for? And who can you be looking to to share um, God's love with the world around us? Why don't we pray? Dear Father, we just thank you for the incredible privilege it is to know you. 
for your love, for the depth of your love and all that you have done in our lives, for the ways that you've transformed our own lives or for the ways, God, that we're looking for your transformation and seeking you to continue to transform our world. But God, you don't do that for no reason. You do that so we can be examples to the world around us, that they may see your love through us. So God, in this week, in the weeks ahead, may you continue to shape our hearts, break our hearts for the people around us, that we may look for opportunities to share your love, to journey alongside them, to look for those small moments that we can build into their lives, that we know and believe in faith that they are part of a bigger transformation. So God, we look to you in these moments. May you inspire us, but may you connect with the depth of our hearts that we may know your love and the depth of what that means for us this week. We just pray this in your most mighty and powerful name. Amen.